0: great to be back. It's always a joy to come here and minister the Word of God. There's so many here that I've grown to know over the years. Uh, I was telling Tim uh, and Christine's children that I've known them since before they were wed. That would go true with you, Luke and Lara, and uh, the Hatfields as well. I mean, the uh, Brownfields. I've known... Bonita for many, many moons. And it's always a joy to come back up and renew relationship with the people that have been added to the number. Um, I love your liturgy. It's robust. Um, It doesn't surprise me. It has the markings of its elders. It's transparent, and that's what I love about it. Uh, I love to hear Andy speak from his heart through the liturgy I, I loved it when you were talking about sin uh, that just I, I said this is just great when a church goes apostate it forgets to talk about sin and that's the truth because that little critter wants to hide it wants to remain in the shadows sin in our members is discreet and it likes to be that way because that way it can grow in the dark. That's where, that's where funguses grow. And uh, such a... I mean, I don't even know where to start with the liturgy. And you do it every week, so you're used to it. And so you can become... It can become mundane if you're not careful. My wife and I pray every morning together. Uh, I, I guess I shared that with... Perhaps the last time I came up... When I broke my back and got and totaled my car, and then my daughter's car got in a wreck, I kind of woke up and became spiritual. (laughs) People think you're spiritual because you pray every day. Well, really, you've just realized your need each and every morning, and you need to pray. And I became very aware that I need to pray with my wife every day. And so we pray every day for God's protection, etc., etc. And if we're not careful, that becomes mundane. But there's nothing mundane about coming into God's presence and being able to share in the body of Christ communally all these things that we live throughout the week. We all pray during the week. We confess sin during the week. We look at God's Word during the week. But it's special when we come together and do this communally. We all have a birthday, but there's something special when there's a group singing happy birthday. That's something we share communally. And nobody ever says, I've sung that song a hundred times. Can we do something different? We do it, and we do it robustly because we know the meaning behind it is, is, is valid. And so just be encouraged that in your little microcosm here in, in Ohio that your, that your liturgy is not mundane and that it is wonderful. And uh, I would, you know, I mean, Jonathan praying like that. I was just thrilled. He's not just praying, he's sharing so he can pray some more. <laughs> I just thought it was great. Now, maybe you're used to that or maybe different people pray and you get a different flavor. And that's, that's great. That's called flavor. That's what the body of Christ is full of, difference. And, the, and in that difference creates that great harmony, that orchestra that God is putting together, that building with living stones. So, once again, it's just a pleasure to be here. Greetings from Baton Rouge. Greetings from my wife and my little girl who I adore and who I always miss the day I leave. I'd say within 24 hours I'm already going, boy, I miss them. I really would like to go home. <laughs> and it's not that I'm not having a great time. I just I love my wife and daughter. And My wife has been such a blessing in my life. She's my support system. I'm used to having her in front of me when I speak. And it's a well that I draw upon, and I love to look at her enthusiasm as she supports her husband. And uh, so I'd say on a weekly basis, Mark is drawing support from his people that he pours his life into. Um, today, we will be sharing out of 1 Samuel 24. I would also like to thank the Hatfields for hosting me and for providing a computer so that I could print this out, type it all, and reword it. Uh, just to share where this message is coming from, I teach the adult Sunday school class at my church every week. And it's a three-year through-the-Bible survey. And so last year we came up to this chapter, last week. And I said, man, that's really good. Now, I was going to teach today about the Tower of Babel, which I still want to. Because I think it's a poignant message for this church, as, as we were talking today, Bonita. Children are growing up, and then, and then they get launched, and God puts them in places. And so, maybe the next time I come back, we'll speak about the Tower of Babel, because there's so much in there that's not typically understood. But today, we're speaking on 1 Samuel, because I said, man, this is really good. And uh, exegetically and thematically, as you walk through the Bible, preachers kind of like that because um, then you don't take the heat for picking on a subject. You just get to track through the Bible. So today we're tracking through the Bible. You're kind of joining me in my rhythm that we're going through in Baton Rouge. And so the body of Christ is communally joined together. We believe in the communion of the saints, don't we? So... Uh, let us pray thank you Father for your word for bringing us together in one accord Lord through the blood and body of Christ through his passive and uh, active obedience Lord that we can enjoin once again together to eat and feast upon your word I pray that you would give me just what you want and nothing more that we could feast upon your word together communally today in Jesus name C.S. Lewis once wrote, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. Yeah. So there's that scriptural principle that we all believe, and then there's the traction. Then there's the rubber meeting the road. There's the practice arena where that idea gets tested and proven. That's what a trial is. It's a proving fact, there's a a proving ground they call it in the military in Annapolis, Maryland. It's called the uh, Annapolis Proving Grounds. That's where they test weaponry. They're going to prove, well, the, 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 the idea is this gun shoots this way, let's prove it. And so testing and trials and life circumstances is where God says, oh, you say you like forgiveness, and I know you do because I forgive you. Now let's put it to the test and see where you're at in that formula. Because none of us are where we need to be. And we're all learning to become closer to the ideal than where we're at. So, what are some other biblical principles that we can struggle to live out? How about loving our enemies? That's a tough one. But I promise God is faithful. He'll give you a chance to figure it out. I've said it before here, and I'll remind you, God is faithful. He's a faithful troublemaker. God will make trouble just for you because He loves you so much. It's true. And if that's not true, give it about a week and then call me. In fact, get stuck in traffic on the way into town. That's, that's, That's my area. Trusting the Lord for justice and vindication. Praying for those in authority. I mean, that sounds rather inane, but have you prayed for your president lately? Or about the last president? Or maybe your senator, who is uh, who is a an abortionist. That's where the rubber meets the road. That's where your inner anger <laughs> rises up and says, can we just shoot him? It's like, you know, you can't live with him and you can't live without him. But then God says, well, pray for him." And I put this one at the bottom of the list here. It was rather subtle. How about making disciples? That seems like, well, yeah, of course, you make disciples. But have you ever made a disciple? It's challenging, making disciples. Because when you're making disciples, by the way, you're being discipled. Every, there, there are enough children in this room to prove it that making disciples is spelled W-O-R-K. And it's the most loving work you can do. And I just put these little principles out there to show you that the idea of something and the actual doing of something are usually in two different places because we're sinners. Actually, we're saints being transformed into His image, but we have that sinful nature still hanging around, Romans chapter 6, 7, and the glorious no condemnation in chapter 8. A uh, famous episode in Seinfeld for anybody hanging out from the 90s, he says, anybody can take a reservation, but can you actually keep a reservation? You see? So there's the ideal, and then there's the doing. It's always in the doing. In Colossians it says that we need to be doing or uh, Matthew 5 through 7. Be not hearers of the word only, but doers. So, as we seek to attain the wisdom of Christ in our lives, that as we fail and learn and come closer to his image and the ideal. So, today's focus is waiting on the Lord. And I called it a biggie in my notes. Because it seems uh, rather simple, like making disciples like. Uh, looking out for the interests of others, waiting on the Lord, not a deep theological concept, not like you have to look it up a book, get the etymology of it all, and figure, you know, wow, that's really deep theology. But it's a biggie if you've ever tried it. Because we're good at not waiting on the Lord. We're good at taking matters into our own hands. I was telling the elders earlier, you know that famous phrase, some people make it happen, Some people watch it happen, and others say, what happened? It's a famous phrase we've all learned. But it's true. And look, once God has commissioned you and says, go make it happen, well, that's when it's time to make it happen. But until that moment in time, we're just in waiting. Now, here's a a really interesting thought I had about that waiting on the Lord I think when we when we think of the phrase, waiting on the Lord, what comes to mind? We sit and wait. We're sitting and waiting. God has said X, Y, and Z. We sit and wait. Uh, Andrea has been waiting on the Lord for a long, long time. Now she could have jumped the gun and got ahead of things. She could have taken matters into her own hands. She could have... She could have come up with some scripture that says, there's nothing wrong with seeking this and seeking that and doing it. Laying hold. She can't say this, but we men would say, I'm going to man up and do it. Because she's not a man. But, what else does mean? I mean, I'd like to say I thought of this a week ago, but I didn't. What else is waiting? Um, I would like an iced tea. um, And, Could you give my refill over here too, please? That's also waiting. We don't... You know, I, 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 I pulled out the definition on my phone about five minutes ago. Oh, period of waiting, pause, interval, or delay. And the adjective is serving or being in attendance. Are you waiting on the Lord? A little double entendre there that we weren't really thinking about. I wasn't thinking about. But God is faithful and helps me think about this. And He helps us think about this. Are you waiting on the Lord? I mean, what, a, what, a, what an odd paradigm that is. I'm waiting on the Lord for a husband. In the meantime, I'm waiting on the Lord. I mean, I don't know about you, but that strikes me pretty cool. I'm like, well, wow, I hadn't really thought of that. In the meantime, while I'm waiting on the Lord, I am actively waiting on the Lord. I'm doing what He's asking me to do in the meantime. Because really, all of this is all about what He's doing and what He's asking me to do. It it really is not about us. It's not about me. It's not about what I want to do, or my dream, or my ambitions. It's about what God has called us to do. Sometimes, whatever you find your hands to do, do it with all your might. Because that's how you wait on the Lord. So, as we go to 1 Samuel 24... Let us start with verses 1 through 7. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to see David and his men in front of the wild goats' rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hands, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe, and afterward David's heart struck him because he had cut off the corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. So, let's kind of tease that out a little bit. What I what I want to focus on, so I'm going through this series and, and we have a bit of we there's a, a series we go through through this three year survey and they assign certain titles and things to stuff and it's my job and my joy to get to edit it and make it more palatable to what I think God's word really teaches. And they in this in this text they were they were saying that David had a rival and that rival was King Saul. And I just I grimaced at that title because I didn't see it that way at all. I don't really think David had a rival. But I do think Saul had a rival. Because David's place of orientation was, I'm waiting on the Lord. Literally. I'm not just waiting for him to do what he said he was going to do. I'm waiting to do whatever he says to do. And I don't care if it's to be the king or to be a doorkeeper in his house. Better a day in his courts than a thousand days elsewhere. I think the scripture says that David is a man after God's own heart. And what that really means is David is his his identity is in Christ or in the Lord. His his whole orientation is man, I'm just excited to be with God. I don't really care where it is, what I'm doing, that is Mondo world for me. That's it. That's where I want to be. I don't think I don't think David really cared if he was if he was shepherding sheep or slaying the enemy. Because I think he went after that bear with the fierceness of the Holy Ghost. I think he took out that lion saying, if you're not going to touch one of God's sheep. Not today you won't. If you're not content parking cars in a parking lot, look at all the R's I just said. I should have said parking cars in the parking lot. <laughs> it's ridiculous. This. I'm having to change my accent all the time. If you're not content with parking cars in the parking lot, then you've got a problem. You really do. You have a problem. Because i got to tell you, doing this and doing what Andy does, and I've, I've, it is service with a capital S. It is how may I help you, ma'am? It is, oh, you need more iced tea. Oh, you need more of the scripture. Oh, you need more time. Oh, you need some questions answered. Oh, you need me to help in this area. Oh, you need somebody to help coordinate that. Service, service. If you can't be content picking up chairs, telling people how they can park their cars outside, or whatever it is, whatever, quote, mundane task that you have to perform, then you don't understand yet. Are you building a wall as a bricklayer or are you building a cathedral? That's what this is about. Now, I hope that doesn't discourage anybody because you're going through a period in your life where you're frustrated with the mundane. It is meant to encourage you, to let you know that those places in the mundane is where you'll learn the most you'll ever learn in Christ. It's, it's where you'll learn the most. Trust me. I never say that, trust me, but it's true. Recently, in the last year, I was installed to serve on session. And I really, really wrangled over that decision. That was not an easy decision. I mean, in fact, I told them, I'm 99% sure I'm not going to do that. But that was not to be. That, That was really not to be because I understood the gravity and the weight of that. But now that I've... So to speak, jump the shark, and I'm I'm in the ball game, so to speak, of service. That's what I've come to realize. This is just service, as at a just just constant service, and it's a joy. And it means I get to love God's people this way instead of that way. You know, I I used to uh, I used to do a lot of things in, in in church ministry kind of stuff back in the late 80s and early 90s kind of some public, you-can-see-me-up-on-the-stage kind of places. Uh, maybe I've shared this before here. But where I had the most joy was parking cars in a parking lot. I know it seems crazy, but it was a lot of fun. And I got to smile at every person coming in the parking lot who just had a fight because they were late to church or they want to park there when the pastor says no there. And I have the ministry of helping them come into church gracefully. Now, you've got to lay hold of that truth. That's who David is. Let me go to 1 Samuel 17, 26. You don't have to turn there, but you can if you like. I'm just kind of quoting a couple things David has to say about, about what he thinks about his circumstance. Seventeen twenty six. And David said to the men who stood by him, "What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach of Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So he's just incensed that someone would would defy the armies of the living God. Do you see that everybody else in the room is looking at Goliath?" Everybody in the room is looking at themselves, and David comes into the scene and goes, "What?" In fact, he says to to the men around him, "says What's the reward for killing this guy?" Because this guy's going down. This guy aggravates me. He bothers me because he has no regard for the living God. Who do you think David cares about most at that moment? Himself, the army, the prize? Or the, or the glory and the name of the Lord God. Uh, verse 46 and 47, in 1 Samuel 17, he says, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. He's speaking to Goliath. And I will strike you down and cut off your head. Now that's a bold guy right there. He must have some confidence about something. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. I will park every car in that parking lot to the glory of God. Wow, that was exciting, huh? (laughs) But it's true. It really is true. We we need to embrace these things. Gentlemen, you need to embrace the opportunity in the moment that you get the opportunity and the privilege to pray with your wife or your brother and sister in Christ. I'll tell you this one thing about sitting in session. You better have the attitude that everything you do is not duty but privilege. What we do is privilege. There are we sang the song today. Why did I get to hear? Why was I invited into the feast? You get to come to the dance. There is nothing in God's kingdom, really, when you get down to it, that's mundane. Now, if we go two chapters back, let's see what Saul's attitude is. But, well, let's, let's just see the condition of Saul. Verse 16 of chapter 15. He says, Okay, so he has not slain King Agag. He has allowed the people to sway his opinion and keep the finest of the animals for sacrifice and probably a little food. And now Samuel is confronting Saul and here in verse 16, so Samuel uh, Saul is making excuses, oh yeah, but no, we were doing oh, no we were doing. This. and Samuel already knows what God is seeing and he says, "Stop. I'm not saying that that's what I'm saying, Saul. It says it right there. He's going on and then Samuel says, "Stop like, like when your child's making excuses. He says, "Stop." Wow. What a, what, a, what, a, what a delivery that is. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, speak. Now I'm not going to go into all the details. I just want to let you know the difference between David and Saul is their indicative. It's their orientation. It's, it's who they think they are and what they think their job is and what they think they're doing. Saul's doing a great work, and he's the king, and, and he's the man, and but his orientation is not where it needs to be. That's why Goliath is not a, David is not afraid of a giant, but Saul is afraid of men who just want to have a few sheep. And and he's almost, and he's cozying up to Agag, like, oh, I can turn this guy and turn him into an oxford. So there's a huge difference. David has no rival because David is, is right where God wants him. Does God have a rival? There's no rival with God. That's a silly notion. But, you know, rivals are people we contend with. You know, we win a little, we lose a little, we'll get some better players next year, and we'll beat you. That's a silly notion. David has no rival. Saul does. Saul's maneuvering. How am I going to get David? I'm going to chase him down. How am I going to secure my kingdom? I want to keep this as long as I can because I know God's going to take it away. How do I manipulate my circumstances so that I can wait on the Lord? That's not waiting on the Lord. That's hoping and clawing and figuring things out. So, the circumstances God gives David trouble he gives him an opportunity that's what circumstances do he gives him another thing he gives him a community now who's the community in the cave with David it's his fellow soldiers right now we know that they're kind of a rough lot David didn't pick the the good guys he picked a bunch of troubled sinners sounds just like something Christ would do and so here we are, we're in a group of people, and what do they tell him? They say, hey, David, this is your chance. This is your chance. Do it now. Kill him. And so David's got to figure something out here. He's got, well, wow. I'm sure his mind is racing. I'm sure he's trying to figure it out, but he's waiting on the Lord. That's that's where David's orientation really is, and he's, and I'm sure in his mind he's like a little conflict, He's like, yeah, yeah, guy, 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 you know, like we all have that circumstance, even from well-meaning folk. We, you know, hey, hey, that that guy, he's a nice guy. Just yeah, right, yeah, just get married now. No, don't wait. You can do it. There's nothing illegal about it. It's not sinful. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. You guys are a great example right in front of me today. So how do we figure out what God wants us to do? Well, sometimes we do what feels good and right. Be careful. We do what makes sense according to. Uh, we listen to the counsel of many. That's a good place. That's a good way. Uh, it's a good addition to the formula. It's the scripture too. We pray. But where, where is our orientation to figuring out first what God wants us to do? It has to start somewhere, and it starts with the Scriptures. And David knew the Scriptures. David knew who Moses was. David knew that when God puts a man out front, you don't, you don't touch God's anointed man. You let God take care of that. You're waiting on the Lord. You're not here to just, you know... One problem with waitresses and waiters is when they get comfortable with their restaurant and you come in and break their routine. I'm sure we've all been treated like that before. Oh, no, 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 no. And they, and they kind of hustle past maybe some of the things that you would rather have a certain way. Well, that's not waiting on the customer. And when we're doing things out of order of how God has, has, has laid it out in His Word, we're not waiting on the Lord either. What time is it, by the way? I have no clock, no reference point. You just, just let me know when I'm going on too long. Whistle, uh, you know, give me the dagger, the eye, the omen of death, whatever. Um, so God's Word is where it has to start. Because without it, we don't, we don't really know what the right thing to do is. You know, uh, Abraham Lincoln is quoted famously for saying, without the Bible, we would not ro- know right from wrong. William Perkins, if I haven't said it here before, I'm going to say it today, and I'll probably say it the next time. It's one of my favorite things, my favorite quotes. God does not do a thing because it's right or wrong. A thing is right or wrong because God does it. Okay? So we have to know truth, right and wrong, what the right thing to do is from His Word, and let it speak to us, and not dictate into our circumstances truth and what's the right thing to do now hey there are a lot of mundane decisions that we have to make a lot of judgment calls that comes with wisdom and wisdom comes with failure you remember trouble, failure, testing that's how that, I hate to break it to you but that's the only way wisdom comes by failing and the only way it comes is by doing doers of the word not just hearers so, David has a, has a resource. He has a point of orientation. He says, uh, I can't touch the Lord's anointed. That's pretty, pretty clear to me And I watch the history of Israel. You know what I love about this church, too? There's so many little babies, you got to take them for walks. <laughs> uh, you, you all see it, but I'm seeing all the babies going for walks out there. It's great. I love it. So, David says, so when his men are telling him that, he goes, all right, all right, I'm not going to kill him though, guys. That's not right. Like he doesn't say that, but he's got this internal battle and he goes up and he cuts the corner of his robe off. Let me get back to chapter 24 because I love this. I, I love this about David and it's the core of where David is living. Uh... It says here that when he cut off the corner of the robe of Saul, his conscience struck him. He didn't kill Saul. He didn't harm him. All he did was cut off the corner of Saul's robe, which is interesting because when, Saul, when the kingdom is taken away from Saul, he reaches out and grabs after Samuel. And when he does, he tears off the corner of Samuel's robe. So you can see the Lord is speaking to Saul through this circumstance. But just the very thought, I can just see—I can just see King David. He's pushed by the crowd, his men. He's trying to be loyal to his men, but in his, his struggle with his conscience, he knows the Scripture wants him to be. You know, the, sin is not a matter of technicalities all the time. A lot of times, it's a—it's an attitude problem. Or, or we know what God's looking for. It's kind of like when you tell your children to say sorry and to shake hands and do so with a smile, right? We want the attitude as well as the behavior. And when, Saul, when, sin, when, when David does that to Saul's robe, his conscience strikes him. He says, oh, man. And this is why I think it strikes him. A, because he sins. But sins about what? David's orientation is to spread the glory of God. He wants people to know that God is God and He is not. And when he does that, he goes, you know, I just, I just took some of the glory away from God. I just took it into my hands just a little. I could have done more. Almost like when they bring him water and he says, I can't drink that water. They, you know, those two guys, they run a long way behind enemy lines, get the water, bring it back and say, oh, we knew you were thirsty. He says, how can I do that? I think David at that moment says, you know, I should have gone the extra mile. I should have done better. I should have let the Lord prove himself and me not have to do it for him. His conscience struck him, and it struck him because he does not want to touch God's anointed. It's like going to the President of the United States and throwing your shoe at him. You didn't kill him. You just disrespected him, that's all. What's the difference? After all, if I hate someone, I didn't really kill him. But the scripture says you committed murder. I think that bothered David because I, I think that he knew he could do even better to wait on the Lord. Do we believe what God says, and do we operate on it? Do we let God's word govern us from outside? or do we get ahead? And so falsely accused and endangered from Saul, David refused to act out in anger in his confrontation. David pleaded his case before Saul. He was innocent of rebellion against the king, but rested in God's tender care for him. David glorified the Lord in his obedience, in honoring the Lord's anointed, and in his patient trust, in God's justice. So part of waiting on the Lord is trusting what? That we know God is on the throne. That we know God's in control. That It's testing time again, you see. Your, your ideals are going to be, te- oh, okay, you trust the Lord. How much do you trust the Lord? In fact, it just come into mind, we're living in a country that's turning into Rome we're not we're not living in a country that's being guided and directed and leaded by godly principles as it may once have been and I put a lot of a lot of um, ifs there as it once may have been Um, and so what we have to decide is do we trust the Lord is the Lord still in control can the Lord cause us to prosper can the Lord give us victory even when the government's not on our side even when there's persecution afoot, I mean, I, 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 uh, I just decided a few years back that, uh, you know, it's a lost cause in many circles, and I need to trust the Lord. And it's been a good place because the Lord has forced me to say, "Hey, am I not on the throne? Do I not control what's going on?" So, a question to reflect on when responding to conflict. Do we respond with hostility? With civility? And those are all nice things. They're good. That's a start. But you can couch a lot of sin in in civility. Or do we respond to conflict with patience and trusting the Lord? Or are we going to lower ourselves to getting in the mud? funny. I don't have to explain what that means. We all know what that means. Well, what mud? I don't ever get in the mud. Uh, well, we've probably all gotten in the mud a bit. So this is what I love about David. Uh, in fact, when you read Psalm 69, that was, that was phenomenal. Uh, you know, I picked it out. I gave it to him, right? So you'd think I would know it was phenomenal. But as he's reading it, it's just different when you hear someone read it. It was just amazing to hear God's uh, David's position. I wanted to reread a couple of verses that I heard uh, through that. It says, <clears throat> "Let not those who hope in you be put to shame through me, O Lord God of hosts." I think that's what he thought when he when he cut that corner of Saul's robe. I think there are many other things David did that also caused him to think that way too. But he says, let not those who hope in you be put to shame through me. What, what, where's his confidence there? It's in the Lord. Like he, he says, I'm all in your camp, Lord. I'm waiting on your table. I'm waiting here. You're like It was your idea to make me king, not mine. And look where it's gotten me. I'm in a cave, running for my life. And you know what David's concern is? Don't don't let me shame your name through this process. O God of hosts, let not those who speak, who seek you be brought to dishonor through me, O God of Israel. For it is for your sake that I have borne reproach that dishonor has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers and alien to my mother's nation. Remember, he was actually fighting over there with the Philistines and secretly killing Philistines in the process. But it says, For zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. But I love, it's one of my favorite scriptures. For zeal for your house has consumed me. So... Uh, toying with a direction here. So when you're at the supermarket, and now now this has really confronted me in the last three or four years since I've been doing a lot more teaching, leadership, and now on session. What are you doing at the supermarket when they're not being great? And they're frustrating you in line? Or just things, you know? The safety of my car is nice because no one knows what I'm thinking. (laughs) And that is indeed my worst area of Rubber meets the road, if I could say. Um, I don't, I, you know, I don't stoop to telling anybody they're number one, and I don't cuss at people, and I don't, you know, I, I, I would never verbally let anybody know I'm upset. But what's going on in me? And sometimes the, just, uh, you know, what is that idiot doing? And I'm being very kind to myself and making myself look good here, because I'm not that sweet in the car or the car. So what is what is it uh how are we responding to things when we're waiting on the Lord, when we're being his representative in in in, 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 in this waiting process. I, I love that double entendre. I mean when we're waiting slash waiting on the Lord. Because when you're waiting on the Lord you're also representing his waiter. You're in his restaurant representing him. And you're waiting on people. And you're waiting on His Word. You're demonstrating. You're showing. So a couple of things I like about what David here did here that we're going to sum up here, that Christ did also. What do we do when we're waiting on the Lord and we're in conflict and it seems like our enemies press in around us? Well, David took the initiative he was the offended party but what did he do? In humility he demonstrated initiative to reconcile now that takes maturity that takes maturity it can't be about you, it can't be a baby fit it can't be a poor me, woe is me it has to be about wow how am I representing right now you know that's the saying in our culture Oh, wow, you really represent. Well, how do you represent? He humbled himself. He didn't fight back. He didn't take matters into it. He didn't say, well, I'm just going to take control of this circumstance because I know God has called me. I'm taking Saul out. In fact, somebody told me what Samuel said about him, and he's kind of a weasel. No, he honored God's covenant. He honored his covenant with Jonathan. He honored God's word. And in humility, he considered others better than himself and took the initiative to do what? To fix it? Or to reconcile? I mean, He bows his head down before Saul and calls himself a dead dog and a flea. We have somebody else that did this. He left his throne in glory. He took the initiative. He humbled himself god is the offended party here in our lives and yet he humbles himself condescends on one knee takes the initiative which is where real masculinity and leadership resides and paid a price so that he could make us friends now at the end of that story he says Saul says, well, okay, I know that God has made you king. Please don't kill my family. Please have grace towards us, your enemy. And this is what Christ does for us. He condescends and says, I will make you like my own. And, and, then, and then King David takes Mephibosheth, who's the son of Jonathan, to, his, to live in the, 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 the palace with David and sit at his table every day. So when I say we're representing, we're really representing someone who's done and and modeled this for us. And my my context of thinking right here is in our interpersonal relationships with people and brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, and as we are out and about, that we take the initiative to be humble, to be Christ-like, to be gracious and kind, because this is what Christ did for us. Feels like I said a lot to say that, but uh, it is a pleasure and an honor to do so. Uh, my prayer is that as we go through life and we are waiting on the Lord, and circumstances come upon us, and God says, uh, "I'm going to make you more like my Son." He doesn't promise a whole lot beyond that in the Scripture. Circumstantially, He might make you a carpenter. He might make you a married person. He might make you not a married person. He might make you the mother of many, the father of a big business, or he may make you the parking man in the the church parking lot. But as we're going through these circumstances, how do we represent? How do we actually wait on the Lord? Because you may go through life frustrated that you're not at a certain place, but if you can let go of that, in fact, let me just challenge everyone, and I don't think this is a church I have to challenge that hard on. I really don't my challenge is while you're waiting look for more ways to serve that's what waiters do waiters serve look for more places and more opportunities to serve and you'll forget all about yourself you'll start feeling bad that you even thought about yourself because you'll start seeing needs out there my goodness there's two little babies in this room today that are confused and haven't been in a stable atmosphere and what a blessing that the brownfields are able to bring stability and comfort and peace. I was looking at that little Talia today thinking, this poor little girl is just getting oriented into some stability. And I just want to just love her and I'm so pleased. What better privilege is there than to be a servant in the household of the Lord waiting on him? Who cares if you're king or an elder or the musician, or the guy up front, or the guy who does this or that. Who cares? Let's wait on the Lord, represent, and do right by Him, because He's already done right by us. And, and I know it's not as simple as doing right by the Lord. I get that. That's, that. That could be a little cheesy if you're not careful. But let us wait on the Lord. Let us humble our hearts and serve Him with all our hearts and minds and soul and strength. Let us empty ourselves of our station, and become servants in the house of God. Just to be a doorkeeper in his house, what a privilege. Let's keep that perspective. Let's understand we're building a castle and not just a wall, a palace in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinet of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.